Filing is just filing. That's, you know, you're looking backward. You really want a tax planner or somebody that can help you plan so that when you file, you're taking advantage of everything you should have in the following year. Puzzles go by a lot of names. Jigsaws, crosswords, sudokus, brain teasers, brain bashers, brain knitters, knotters, and bucklers. You get the idea. On this show, we deal with financial puzzles. Your host is Money and Clarity Certified Financial Planner, Nikki Early. It's time for the show. Let's put the pieces together. It's time for another Solving the Financial Puzzle podcast. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Nikki Early, Certified Financial Planner, partner with Money and Clarity, serving you in Cincinnati and all the surrounding communities. You can find us online at moneyandclarity.com. Nikki, great to chat with you once again this week. How are you? I am great. How are you doing, Walter? Oh, that is good to hear. I am well and looking forward to our conversation today. We're going to do a little looking back and a little looking forward, kind of a 2020 and 2021 tax tips recap episode. And I know that you guys at Money and Clarity love talking about taxes. We do. We have very big concerns about tax rates in the future. So not only is this one of our favorite subjects, but it's timely in that a lot of people are filing their tax returns right now. Absolutely. Uh, So it's top of mind, I think, for a lot of people, at least in the short term. Maybe folks aren't still quite focused long-term tax-wise as much as they should be. But hopefully today's conversation about some of those short-term items also sparks the need to discuss and think about the long-term impacts of uh, taxes. So if you're getting ready to file your 2020 taxes and also looking ahead to maybe some of the changes that will happen this year and beyond, this is the show for you. We're going to cover some of the changes that have happened with the coronavirus pandemic last year. Um, And even without the pandemic, there were already going to be some changes in the tax world. So we're going to give you kind of a recap of all these different things that have occurred and how it impacts both the current and the future uh, different elements of the tax world. So let's first talk about stimulus payments, Nikki. Um, I know that there's a, a common question out there for folks who did receive stimulus payments this year. Are those taxable? Are they going to impact tax returns in any way? Well, the short answer is no. So the CARES Act, which I think, gosh, it was the end of March last year, 2020, that that was passed. Any money that you receive stimulus-wise is not going to count on your tax return. So you don't have to count it as income. I do want to just remind everyone, however, if they received unemployment, that that will count as income. So you need to be cognizant of that. But going back to the CARES Act, um, if you recall, the first eligible round was 1200 per adult and 500 per child. And then the second round was 600 per eligible adult and child. And there's was some eligibility. When I say eligible, we should probably explain that. If you made too much money, then you didn't qualify for a check. And, you know, the good news, bad news is you made a a lot of money or a decent amount of money, so you didn't qualify for a check. But those thresholds for single filers were right around 75,000. And then for married filers, right around 150,000. So um, I'm sure you're well aware, Walter, that there's a third round that's being proposed right now. Yeah. Any changes to that one as well? Or do you think it'll be similar? (sighs) Well, so under Joe Biden's kind of, I guess, what he's proposing is that it would be $1,400 per person, and the income thresholds would be around the same. Now, we do have a group of Republicans that are proposing um, 
lesser amount, so like more like $1,000, and then also lowering those income thresholds. So like if you're thinking before it was 75 for an individual and 150 for a couple, they're looking more at like 50,000 for an individual and 100,000 for a couple, which again, if you haven't been impacted and you are making that much money, do you really need, you know, the additional funds from the government that's going to play a part in future tax rates, essentially? Yeah, it's uh, it's a pay me now or pay me later. <laughs> it's right, almost right. it seems how that develops, right? They're right. They're going to get it back at a later date anyway. But uh, do you need the help in the immediacy or in the immediate future? You know, maybe maybe not, depending on mm-hmm. what's going on in life, right? right. Um, so it's an interesting uh, interesting debate. Obviously, the uh, just a, the amount of stimulus payments, but at least from the tax perspective of filing. Sounds like no major impact in the near term, but you're you're alluding to the long term impact of of all the stimulus payments that have been going out. Oh gosh, and I'm sure we'll get into this more <laughs> having a tax discussion. But you know, we've always been very concerned about what tax rates are going to do in the future, just based on demographics and baby boomers moving out of the workforce and starting to use Social Security and Medicare and those type of things. But then you add all of the stimulus money to that, so it doesn't bode well. We were uh, singing this tune on podcasts well before the pandemic. (laughs) Right, right. And the uh, national debt problems have only gotten worse given everything that's happened the past year. Well, uh, that leads, I think, to the next as we talk about tax recapping 2020 and looking ahead. What about tax brackets? Are 2020s different from what we saw when we filed for 2019 taxes? And this year, are they going to change again in 2020, you think? Okay, so for 2020 and 2021, nothing is different from 2019 at this point. Um, They're the same. We did have some changes in 2018. So since 2019, we have seven brackets, which we've always had, but, or I shouldn't say always, but that we did previously. And those are 10, 12, 22, 24, 32, 35, and 37. And so again, that hasn't changed. But what does change annually is that typically the amount um, that you make every year is adjusted for inflation. So maybe you have a little bit more room in the lower tax brackets as you graduate into the, the higher ones. What I'd like to point out, and it's kind of a misconception, is that about how the tax brackets actually work, how marginal tax brackets like we have work. So for instance, um, if you're a single and you file um, the first, I think it's $9,870-odd that you make in 2020 is taxed at 10%. And then you graduate into the next marginal tax bracket until you max out your income. So Dan and I like to joke that even for the first few minutes of every year, Oprah Winfrey is in the first marginal tax bracket and is only taxed at 10%. (laughs) Uh, But as you earn more, again, you graduate into the um, next marginal tax bracket. So point being that you end up with an average tax rate. What people have a misconception is, is that just because your highest marginal tax bracket is 24% doesn't mean that every dollar you earned that year got taxed at 10%. So part of it was taxed at 10, part was taxed at 12, part at 22, and then finally 24. So you end up with this, um, if you will, average tax rate. So that's, I guess, really important to understand when we're talking about taxes and rates and marginal tax brackets. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good good clarification. Now, there was, I remember, it's been a year, so um, my brain's a little fuzzy on this, Nikki. I remember there being part of the CARES Act that allowed for, like, extra deductions for charity, even if you were on the standard deduction, not, you know, doing itemization. Is that, a, is, is that still happening for 2020? Yes, and 2021 as well. So there's a couple different things going on here that we need to discuss. But again, in 18, when the tax laws changes, we lost our personal exemptions, but our standard deductions went up. So when that happened, many of us ended up no longer itemizing. So we didn't itemize our deductions. And while we know that charitable giving is admirable and we promote that, in many cases, they weren't going to, you know, if you gave to charities because you were using your standard deduction, you weren't going to get a benefit from doing it tax-wise. So that all changed um, from 18 to 19. But what the CARES Act, and gosh, I'm going to say this and hopefully not mess it up. It's called the Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act. So say that 10 times fast, right? Yeah, that's a tongue twister. That, that's, yeah. that's like what uh, singers use to warm up before they go out on stage. <laughs> They're reciting tax tax laws. <laughs> Something like that. But So what that allowed for is that even if you're using your standard deduction, that you could deduct an additional $300 per person on top of that for 2020. Now, if it, so I'm married, Brad and I, if um, we wanted to take advantage of $300 per person, we literally each had to write a check to that charity for $300 per person. And then we would get 600 as a couple. There's another, uh, gosh, acronym here, CAA, which is, again, say this 10 times <laughs> in a row, Consolidated Appropriations Act that is um, in effect for 2021. And in this case, we still get the $600 as a couple you know, deduction for charitable donations. However, I can write the check for 600. Brad doesn't need to do one for 300 and I don't need to do one for 300. So it consolidates that and uh, allows us both to, you know, donate under one check or one person, if you will. Very good. Uh, so that's a nice development. Still encourages more donations. And even if you've done the standard deduction, it, it's not large sums of money that we're talking about, but every little bit helps. So it seems like that's been a positive I'll thing. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll take it. I know the charities will take it too, right? Very mm-hmm. positive thing for them. All right. There was big news about RMDs before the pandemic. That was the uh, SECURE Act, right? But then something's kind of got changed again with those required minimum distributions with the CARES Act. By the way, I can never keep them straight. I just, I I, I flip-flop all the time, which one was secure, which one was CARES, which one came first. Uh, It's always tough to keep that straight since they kind of came out in pretty quick quick, quick succession (laughs) at the uh, end of the one year and beginning of the next year. But what's the skinny on RMDs? Because this is an important and often overlooked uh, piece of the planning puzzle. Yeah, so another acronym, the SECURE Act, which is, again, let me get this right, it's Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Act. So SECURE (laughs) Act, like, where do they come up with this? I don't know. But um, the first important thing to note is that per the SECURE Act, the RMD, or Required Minimum Distribution Age, was no longer 70 and a half. And I don't know why anyone ever chose 70 and a half to begin with, but now it's 72. So you do not have to take an RMD until a required minimum distribution until you the year that you turn 72. So again, just so we 
are kind of on the same page with all our listeners. Um, required minimum distributions are really just our government's way of making us pull money from our tax-deferred accounts and paying taxes on that money. So as we get older, we're required to take out the money. And as we get older and older, the the mathematics change and you, you have to keep taking out more of a percentage from those accounts. So having said that, in 2020, um, and again, when the CARES Act took place, it was March and end of March. And the market, if you recall, was tanking terribly at that point. So they basically said that if you did have a required minimum distribution for 2020, that you did not have to take it because they didn't want to force people to have to sell assets from their portfolio to just meet that requirement. So that all happened then. But as far as we know, you know, today, RMDs are back for 2021. So just be aware of that. RMDs back for 2021, unless something changes, changes uh, after yes. this recording. But yes. for now, uh, you got to have those back on the radar. So that's important. What about home office deductions? I know this has always been a lightning rod for audits. At least that seems to be the word on the street. I've always kind of avoided taking the home office deduction, but boy, it would be nice to, to take it now, even though I've always worked in the home office. Um, because of all the rules around it and, oh, you're going to get audited if you do it. I've always shied away from it, but I don't know. Now I feel like I have a legitimate reason, as probably many others across the country do. Nikki, how are you advising folks with questions about home offices? Well, it depends. So if you're just working from home because of COVID and, you know, you still have an employer, then you really don't qualify, unfortunately. I know that's hard. But if you're self-employed or your own business entity, then you could qualify. And there's a couple different rules around that. One is called regular and exclusive use. And I know this well because um, my husband is a real estate agent and self-employed. So so we do actually, we, I guess we, <laughs> we may be audited someday, but we do take the home <laughs> office deduction. Um, but the regular and exclusive use is just basically that there has to be a part of your home that's set aside for, for that business for you using. And um, then you base it on square footage of that space, uh, depending on how big your home is. So you get to take a percentage. So that's how that works. The other rule is that it's your principal place of business. So you have to be able to show that you use that most of the time. Now, you know, of course, my husband being a real estate agent uh, shows homes and he goes to title agencies for closings and he, um, you know, lists properties at people's homes. But I would venture to say that like, 85% of the time that he's working, he's working from home. So in that case, you would qualify. Now, having said all that, I recommend if if you find yourself in this situation, then you certainly need to work with an accountant to determine if you qualify or, or not. It's a great point. You just want to make sure you're crossing all your T's and dotting your I's when it comes to the home office deduction type elements. Um, yep. One of those things that you want to get right when you file those taxes. All right, let's talk a little bit about um, filing advice. Um, you know, a lot of people like to turn to the TurboTax HR block. And I know that's maybe really easy for folks who are on the younger end of the spectrum, first job, not very complicated returns. Do any of your clients still use tax software like that or file their own taxes? Or, or how do you guide people when it comes to the, their tax filings and what's appropriate for somebody who's maybe a little bit closer to retirement age? Well, let me first say I'm not a CPA, so a certified public accountant. 
Now I am a CFP, (laughs) Certified Financial Planner. All of our acronyms today are fun. But having said that, I one-fifth of my studies to become a CFP were around taxes. So I'd like to say I know my stuff, if you will. Um, I have, so I'm not the best case study here probably, but I have and continue to do my own taxes, even though Brad's self-employed. I have two rental properties. Mostly, quite honestly, it's because I'm cheap and I don't want to pay anyone to do it. But um, I also have a little bit of education. I think it does go back to what you said around how complex your tax return is. If you've got a couple W-2s and that's it, then you know a site like TurboTax is certainly your H&R Block. You, you certainly could probably handle that yourself. Now, but if you start thinking about having rental properties or you're self-employed or you own a company, what we like to say is you know, filing is just filing. That's, you know, you're looking backward. You really want a tax planner or somebody that can help you plan so that when you file, you're taking advantage of everything you should have in the following year. As you get older, we do a lot of analysis for people as far as when they're pulling income from certain buckets, if you will, um, in retirement of how that's going to affect their taxes, not only their social security, whether that's going to be taxed, but ultimately at the end of the day, what they're going to pay. So as advisors, um, again, not accountants, we definitely can point out strategies for our clients to explore throughout the year. But this is something you want to be thinking about ahead of time, again, tax planning and not tax filing. So would definitely recommend that you seek out some professional help in that area. That's yeah, hugely important to make sure you're making good decisions about your finances, um, about filing for taxes, making sure everything's working in concert. And that's where it blends in from the tax filing aspect to that tax planning aspect. How does uh, the, the long-term impact and affect everything else that's going on? Uh, before we broaden out to that full picture, Nikki, probably to end the show today, what about state-specific changes? Anything in uh, Ohio or Kentucky that folks should know about this year? I don't know of anything that's changed statewide. I I definitely, there are certain states where you don't pay income tax, and I know people move there for that reason. So uh, if you're planning on moving, you may want to research which states are actually don't uh, charge necessarily an income tax and be aware of that. But Ohio and Kentucky, I don't think that there are any big changes that we should expect this year. Okay, very good. And then last but not least, yeah, take us to that broader picture, Nikki. It's one thing to talk about all these tax changes in the immediate term, but how do you and Dan and the Money and Clarity team look at both these short-term tax things, the long-term tax things, and also wrap it all into a financial and a retirement plan? Because, hey, just filing for taxes year to year, that's a lot of work and enough to keep up with. How can we put everything else into the proper perspective? Well, it does go back to, like you said, around the planning process. Taxes, one of the five areas that we look at very seriously and what is likely to happen in your lifetime tax-wise. There are certain strategies that you can start employing today that can help you in retirement, whether it might be Roth conversions or contributing to the Roth portion of your 401k instead of the traditional type, which is tax-deferred. So there's just so much to all of that, to the planning process itself. But, you know, at the end of the day, 
you know, when you retire and you start pulling income out of your portfolio, you only get to keep the portion that you don't have to pay to Uncle Sam. So if we can help you early on or even later on, you know, uh, strategize about how to make the money you get to keep for yourself um, a higher amount, then we certainly look at that with every client. Well, if you'd like to talk a little bit about putting together a financial plan, looking at your tax situation, how you're positioned for those long-term potential impacts of rising taxes in the future, all of those things need to be considered. And Nikki and the team at Money and Clarity can certainly do that for you. So if you're new to the show or new to learning about Money and Clarity, I invite you to reach out with any questions that you have and talk a little bit more about the planning process. 513-563-PLAN is the number to call. 513-563-PLAN, or you can go online to moneyandclarity.com to get additional information and uh, ways to contact the team. Nikki, appreciate the help and uh, guidance on the show today. Enjoyed it, and uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you again soon. Absolutely. Can't wait. Thank you, Walter. Sounds good. That's Nikki Early. I'm Walter Sorholt. Thanks for joining us. Don't hesitate to reach out if you have any questions at all, moneyandclarity.com. We'll talk to you next time on the Solving the Financial Puzzle podcast. Information provided on today's show is provided for information purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information has been attained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with an investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action. Nikki Early is an investment advisor representative of Capril Wealth Coaching, LLC, a registered investment advisor. To obtain a copy of Form ADV and a privacy policy statement, call 800-353-7920. 23.